At The Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com slash workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 288, The Homecoming. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week... And I think that's about one-third of the usual intro. And so we're stopping the intro right there, uh, in keeping with the way that we're handling the start of Season 2 of Deep Space Nine. See, this week is The Homecoming, part one of a three-part season premiere, and we're just not going to do that. Nope. Now, we did talk about it, we debated it, we kicked it around. I thought maybe we should do each of the three parts as its own episode of Mission Log, uh, but Ken didn't think that way was the way to go, so... Uh, we talked about it, because... Yeah, we talked about it a lot. Yeah, and, and here's what... Here, here was my argument, mm-hmm. and, and check me on this, and if you disagree... Well, we've already done it, so, you know... Too bad. <laughs> yeah, kinda. I don't, I don't want to sound that way, so I'm glad John said too bad uh, let, uh so let's let's just play this out for a second had the Na visitor decided to leave the show and no that wasn't a thing that was going on as far as we know but let's say that she had decided that she was going to leave the show right let's say she'd been planning to leave the show mm-hmm. this would have been a great way to do it kira gets bounced from deep space nine lee nullis comes in and the show moves on right mm-hmm the only thing that really makes this a cliffhanger is the fact that we know that she's coming back. And so we're like, wow, how are they going to work this? <laughs> right, but, I mean, right. this story actually has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Unlike next week, which has a beginning and a middle. So this week you get part one of season two's opening trilogy. And then next week uh, we'll hit the next two parts. Uh, which is great because you don't want a three-hour podcast. <laughs> but be sure to tune in next week for the thrilling conclusion of the usual intro to Mission Log. That's the part where we get to say that we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing stands the test of time. You're going to wait until next week to say that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. John's got trivia coming up in a moment, but first I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, even though we're only doing a third of the, uh, of the uh, season premiere, I have a feeling it is a full 100% trivia on trivia action thing. 
Yeah, I'm going full trivia, Ken. Full trivia. Okay, full trivia, everybody. It's full trivia. Send the kids out of the room because, you know, past a certain, <laughs> it's only past a certain age you should get full trivia, I yeah. think. Mr. Champion, won't you please? Today's episode, The Homecoming Story, is by Jerry Taylor and Ira Stephen Bear. So let's go back to the heady days of Next Gen. Jerry Taylor, who is a story editor and producer on that show, had pitched a story which would have had the Enterprise picking up a Bajoran woman who was on her way to rescue a Bajoran POW. It was felt that it wasn't quite right for TNG, but Michael Pillar liked it and wanted to help DS9 really nail down its own identity going into Season 2. That meant retooling the story into something that could really only be done on this show, not simply shoehorning an old TNG script into place with different character names. So the teleplay duties went to Ira Stephen Bear, and he happened to be a fan of the movie The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. That would be the John Ford movie from 1962 starring John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart. Stewart played Senator Ransom Stoddard, who comes back to town for a friend's funeral. A reporter there starts to ask questions about the legend that made Stoddard famous, shooting Liberty Valance. Only the truth of that event isn't quite the popularly known story, and Stoddard is encouraged to keep the legend alive. This episode is directed by Wienrich Kolbe. This is the third of his run with DS9. We most recently talked about his directorial work on the episode Vortex. Hey, Ken, this one's for you. Nice little Miranda-class ship in Cisco's office. Glad to see that he keeps getting his collection of tiny starships out, placed around the room. And uh, we have a location shoot shout-out here, Soledad Canyon, little less than an hour drive north, almost due north of Hollywood, and right at the top of Angeles National Forest. Lots of other stuff shot there. Uh, the movie Duel, the TV show Westworld, Sons of Anarchy. You're not far from Santa Clarita, Vasquez Rocks, etc. And let's talk about guest stars. We have Mark Alimo back as Gul Dukat. We have the first of four appearances here by Leslie Beavis as the freighter captain who knows how to play Quark. Her character does have a name, Rionage, though never used on screen. Leslie was in Spaceballs. She was Commander Zircon. And other genre credits include V and Alienation, in which she played Cassandra. Frank Langella, very prominently here as Minister Jorah. But you wouldn't know it from the credits. He said he did the show because his kids were fans of Star Trek. He didn't need the money or the credit. But, uh, but wow, Frank Langella, he's just in so much. He's an awesome actor. He was Nixon in the Frost Nixon movie. He was Skeletor in Masters of the Universe. Uh, he had the title role when Dracula got reinvented for cinema in 1979 after he had won acclaim on the New York stage for that same role. Kind of an interesting parallel since that's how Bela Lugosi rose to fame. And we will see him twice more in his role as Jaro. And we have Richard Boehmer as Lee Nallis. Now, sure, we could mention how Richard played Ben Horn in both Twin Peaks series. We could mention appearances on iconic shows like Moonlighting, The Man from Uncle, The X-Files, and Murder, She Wrote. We could mention that he was friends with Andy Kaufman and at one time his roommate. But seriously, come on. Richard Boehmer was Tony in the movie West Side Story. Also, he'll be back twice more as Lee Nallis. 
Uh, let's see, our old friend Tracy Lee Coco is in the background as a Coberian. And in this episode, nobody played Mourn. The most beautiful sound Lee Nullis ever heard is Kira. Is Kira, is Kira, is Kira. He just met a major named Kira. And suddenly that name will never be the same. Chahi. Prologue. Cork has been helping out Odo to catch a conniving band of smugglers, and wait, why has Quark started to play for the side of law and order all of a sudden? Well, the perplexed look on Odo's face is one reason. Quark explains to his brother that every now and then you have to declare peace. It keeps your enemies confused. Speaking of Quark's friends, here's a new old one. She's a seductive captain with clothes by Gotham City and hair by Jerry Anderson. She sidles up to Quark with an offer he can't refuse. Get this Bajoran earring back to Bajor for her. She happened to pick it up from a Cardassian on Cardassia 4. What? Why would a Bajoran earring be there? Quark takes the artifact to Kira, who is not so thrilled to see him, but amazed to see the earring. When she hears where it's from, she heads out, a woman on a mission. Act 1. On the promenade... Jake has something important to discuss with his father. His first date. Seems that Jake has befriended a Bajoran girl, and he needs to figure out a place to take her. Quarters? Out. Suite, Definitely out. None of Sisko's suggestions quite work for Jake. They'll have to continue the talk later. Now it's Kira's turn. Not for dating advice, but to bend Sisko's ear about that earring. She tries so hard to keep it a secret... She just needs to borrow a shuttle for a thing. Nothing that Cisco should really know about. Okay, but now he does. And he doesn't like it. But Kira is insistent because she's Kira. Also because she says Bajor is still very unstable. And that earring she got from Quark belongs to Lee Nallis, a legend among Bajorans. He's a prisoner of war who single-handedly took down a Cardassian general before he was imprisoned. All she needs to do is get to Cardassia 4. She'll have to wait just a moment, though. O'Brien found a graffito left by a separatist faction who want Bajor for Bajorans only. Sound like a lot of fun, these guys. They've been popping up on Bajor, but until now not on DS9. Odo will have to keep an eye out for anything suspicious. Act 2. The worst-kept secret of DS9 is making the rounds. Dax stops by to see Sisko and says, yeah, Kira should go, particularly if it means a shot at reuniting Bajor. O'Brien says he's given some thought of how to disguise a Federation runabout to slip through Cardassian space. Sisko tells Kira that O'Brien will be her co-pilot. That's not up for negotiation. It's a dangerous mission, and she'll need the help of a good pilot. The mission ends one of two ways. They bring back Lee Nallis, or they die trying. Act 3. Disguising their signature as a Lesepian freighter, Kira and O'Brien bluff their way past a Cardassian navigational post and make it to Cardassia 4. Things get complicated, though, when they realize there are about a dozen Bajorans down there in a labor camp surrounded by a force field. Can't just beam them up, which means they'll have to go down there. Conditions at the camp are about as one would expect. Brutal. The Jordans are breaking up rocks while Cardassians oversee. Kira and O'Brien walk right up to the force field where they bargain with a guard. He can have her for two strips of gold-pressed latinum. 
It's a distraction, of course, and right after a good old-fashioned she's-not-that-kind-of-woman, there's a good old-fashioned jailbreak and firefight. Lee Nallis isn't aware of how or why this is happening. One of the other prisoners explains they smuggled his earring out in order to get him rescued. They may not all make it out, but it's most important that he does, for Bajor. With a few of the prisoners, including Lee Nallis, on board the runabout, time is critical. Cardassian warships are on the way, and they've got to leave. Now. Some Bajorans are left behind as our group speed away to DS9. Act 4. Back on the station, those former prisoners are getting medical attention, and Kira runs right into Sisko's office to let him know what they found. Great timing, because who's that on the monitor? Old friend Gul Dukat. He's got a message for them both. This whole thing? The labor cap? The prisoners? Huge oversight. Such a mistake. Oh, how embarrassing. But rest assured, it's all being taken care of. Those other prisoners are on their way back to Bajor now. We cool? Cool. See ya. Look, it may not sit totally right with Kira or Sisko, but at least everyone is safe now. Lee Nallis has been treated for some wounds he got during the escape and seems less than interested in talking to Dr. Bashir about his history with the Cardassians. He also seems uninterested in enjoying the small luxuries aboard DS9. He'd rather just spend his time in his quarters, especially with the growing crowds of appreciative onlookers. From Bajor, Minister Jero pays a visit. He chastises Kira a little for her mission, but he's also grateful that she brought back Lee Nallis. And speaking of Lee, he's discovering what life is like as a free man and as the symbol to the Bajoran people. He launches into a little bit of a thank you speech, and he's interrupted by Jaro, who launches into a speech of his own. Finally, in his quarters, Lee is grateful to Sisko for the opportunity for some solitude. There's something still a little hard to handle for him, though. He was a slave this morning, now a returning hero. Bajor is broken, and now he's expected to offer some help. Let's check in with Quark, shall we? It's after hours, and he's counting out the payroll, which means he's getting one over on Rom. Until Rom notices, then the pay disparity becomes even worse. When Rom leaves in a huff, Quark is assaulted by a masked trio of people who hold him down and apply a brand to his head. Act 5. The brand left the mark of the circle. Bashir is doing his best to heal Quark's wound while Sisko and Kira explain to Lee exactly what the Circle is. The Circle is frustrated with the Bajoran government, with non-Bajorans on the planet, and they're organized. Bajor needs a leader. Hint, hint, hint. Oh, and on top of all this, Jake's date didn't happen. Seems the girl's father wouldn't let his daughter go out with a non-Bajoran. Sisko is sympathetic that nobody deserves to be in the middle of the ping-pong match of Bajoran politics. And as Jake goes off to bed, Sisko gets a call from a freighter at the station that they have a stowaway. It's Lee Nallis. Okay. So why? Lee wanted to escape to the Gamma Quadrant for a good long time. You see, he's a fraud. At least in his own eyes, he is. At one time, the resistance cell he was in was ambushed. After they split up, Lee was the only one with a phaser, and he went ahead to recon what was in front of them. He happened upon a Cardassian bathing in a lake, 
both stunned for a moment until the Cardassian reached for a weapon, and Lee shot him. When his companions found him, this trumped-up story emerged about Lee, the one who took down Gulzarail single-handedly. The reputation followed, even while Lee tried to deny it. All he wants now is to escape the pressure of the reputation. Sisko says he gets it, but Bajor needs a symbol. They need him to help them pull themselves together, even if everything is based on a legend. It seems that Lee has agreed, reluctantly. The next day, he's named Navark, a new title which is super impressive, since there's never been one until now, and it also makes him the liaison to DS9, which puts Kira out of a job. The end. For now. I had a bit of confusion in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee Nullis wasn't part of the Noel Ennis, was he? I, I did not get the impression that he was, but here's the thing. I would love to see that introduction. Lee Nollis, Noel Ennis, Noel Ennis, Lee Nollis. Exactly. It'd be a lot of fun. It's like something yeah. from a, like an Abbott Costello or maybe a, maybe a Marx Brothers movie. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, it, you know, I, I know that we do our wrap up. Do we like it? Do we not like it? Blah, blah, blah. At the end of the show. But I, I just, I want to point out there's something about the prologue or the teaser, if you will, of this show, uh, that I really like. There's just so much texture going on. And it's really clever because it's Quark's relationship with Odo, his relationship with Rionage, and his relationship with Kira. Just boom, 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 right in a row. Three very different beats in quick succession. Mm -hmm. And it's a well-written bit. You get across a lot of information, but you get across a lot about Quark. I will be... Uh, see, what's weird is... So, we talked earlier about how we decided to hit all three of these episodes. Mm -hmm. Which means we watched all three of these episodes to yeah, decide right, right. this this week. Uh, the writing, in, especially in the next episode, is really interesting. I will be curious in trivia to find out whether they were written by the same people and were there you know, concerted efforts to do that. But you're right. There was, uh, there, was something, uh, there was something fun about the beginning of this episode, especially the fact that it really does all hinge on Quark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he he's the he he's he's the the catalyst for the action there. Um and uh, in that moment Kira's got a great line. I entertain a lot. I just don't entertain you. <laughs> that was a good bit. I don't buy it. No, you don't, you don't think she entertains? I, I I get the part where she doesn't entertain him. I I wonder about the part where she entertains a lot. You don't think she just has like a leisurely dinner party or something I, like that? No? She doesn't strike me as the type. I don't okay. know. She's been all business so far, it seems. Okay. Yeah. Uh, me think she does protest too much. Though <laughs> <laughs> I, I entertain, just get out. Right. <laughs> uh, so here's what was surprising to me. You mentioned the graffito uh, in the lower decks or, uh, or in the lower whatever, the pylon or something in DS9. If spray paint is still a thing, it is a wonder that every inch of DS9 isn't tagged already. Well, sure, because you only got 300 people on board this gigantic station. You could right. just tag as much as you want. Right. I would, I would think the, uh, the NJ consortium would be tagged <laughs> all over the place, it seems to me. Yep. Yep. Um, well, speaking of that, and then the branding, so again, no security cameras anywhere. Right. We, we know Odo has them on the holding cells, but, but really just nowhere. Like, it didn't occur to him. Like, oh, I got this camera. I, I could even maybe go down to the replicator shop and replicate more cameras yeah. uh, or, or order them from somewhere like a catalog 
Yeah. Uh, but we're just not going to put them anywhere else. Yeah, there there are very few things in this episode, and I'm not trying to give anything away. There are very few things in this episode that I was like, oh, come on. But the promenade. Yeah. The yeah. promenade. Right. Like, like they're like, did you see who got you? And he said, no, they were wearing masks. And, and it was like, oh, the promenade's like deserted. So nobody saw anything. Right. There are no cameras in the promenade. That would be like, like, that would be like the Mall of America not having security cameras, <laughs> which I got to figure it does. I've never been there, but I'm yeah. going to guess that they've got at least five. And, and <laughs> at least, and the first time that Quark even suspects that he's missing something, you better believe cameras all around the next day. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Quark should have actually said, no, I've been watching the video for an hour and a half before I came to get this thing on my forehead looked at. And uh, no, you can't really tell who it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, we're, we're halfway through our discussion here, our, our funny notes, and I haven't mentioned food. So now we need to mention that Icoberry Tort looks an awful lot like a blueberry scone. And, <laughs> and I really wonder why Cisco is about to get into that thing with a knife and fork. Because he's just, oh, he, he's got the arm spread, he's got the <laughs> knife and fork, each hand, he's ready to go, and it's, yeah, it's for dramatic purposes, he's ready to go, but uh, Kira would have been able to get one word out, I would have had half that thing in my mouth. That's, that's true, but then there are crumbs all over the place, maybe he's just thinking about, I gotta work the rest of the day. Okay, right? all right, so fair enough. Fair enough. Fork that way. Yeah. You say this is the funny bit, but sometimes this is the production bit as well. I actually wanted to talk briefly about uh, a couple of scenes with Kira, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about the scene where Kira asks Cisco for the runabout because, as you mentioned, I mean, he's go he goes for breakfast, but before breakfast, he's finishing up a conversation with his son. Mm -hmm. So Kira comes and says, Commander, I need to talk to you. And he's like, oh, hang on one second. He finishes up the you know, dating advice with Jake. Then he orders mm -hmm. breakfast. And then he starts eating before she's even allowed to talk business. Yeah. Now, I couldn't decide whether this was, you know, showing the place of prominence of his, or if this is showing the level of comfort that they're now finding with each other. And there was a bit more, honestly, when, when Cisco brings O'Brien to Kira's quarters to tell her that she's taking O'Brien with her to Cardassia 4. Mm -hmm. They have a conversation about whether or not she thinks it's a good idea, whether she agrees. But it starts with her telling... I mean, excuse me, it starts with him telling her that that's what's going to happen, and it ends with his proclamation being carried out. Yeah. And I only bring this up because it seems like, you know, we're making a concerted effort to show the maturing of this relationship, I think. Um, we're not comparing Cisco and Picard as much as we have in the past. I mean, because sure. we said the further we get, the less we're going to do that. But I do go back to Picard and Roe Laren. We had a couple of great scenes between those two characters, but the growth in that relationship really rested on the acting of Michelle Forbes and Patrick Stewart. They didn't spend a lot of time growing that relationship. I mean, it starts off with a really neat, look, I got faith in you, kid, so, so come on and be part of the Enterprise. And it ends with him being absolutely heartbroken, crestfallen, whatever, that she chose to run off instead, yeah, um, instead yeah. of you know, fulfilling her, her mission. Um, even after close to a full season, it does not feel to me like Avery Brooks and the Nob Visitor have reliably found their rhythm, but the writers, at the very least, are taking up that mantle in this one. I felt like I felt like I, I was watching people who know each other and understand each other, even if you don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Cisco's going to be useless if he doesn't have his coffee and his boysenberry, whatever that was, right? <laughs> right, right. So she's going to sit there and wait for him to start, uh, and then she can go ahead and do the business thing. It was, it was just. Um, I don't know. It was a, it was an interesting uh, it was an interesting production bit that I noticed. 
No, I thought it was a good moment. And I actually, I, I had a note that I took out because I didn't know we were going to come around to this. But I, I thought it was a really great choice to have Cisco continue that conversation with Jake about the date. It, it just, it really said something about their relationship. It, it also said something about the pacing and texture of DS9. Just that there's a lot happening that has to do with a multitude of relationships here, as opposed to just the very by rote, here's the introduction of the problem or the mission, here are the next steps of that mission, and then we fulfill that until the end of the episode. There is something really cool about him having that moment with his son to drive home the their their, their family bond before he got to care. And he didn't do that in a dismissive way. He didn't do it in an inappropriate way. It was just like, I'm doing this now, and Jake will continue this later, and then Kira. Uh, I thought it was a, a nice moment. It's kind of the difference, I suppose, between being at an outpost and being on a functioning ship. Because even though the Enterprise, of course, does have family, and, and mm -hmm. you know, there may be those moments when the captain's on the bridge, the captain's on the bridge, yeah, your kid's not going to come running in, you know, to ask you a question. Generally speaking, it would be frowned upon, I would think, by the captain, and it would raise questions with everybody else. Even though people live on the Enterprise, Deep Space Nine is where people live, and so yeah. like life is happening, and he's doing his job, as opposed to he does his job and then he goes back to his quarters where life happens in a way. Everybody who's a Star Trek fan jokes about "Shut up, Wesley." Yeah, that would not happen here. No, it just it, it wouldn't. And it would feel inappropriate and wrong. Well, especially because, I mean, we also joke about the fact everybody jokes about the fact that, you know, uh, Deep Space Nine doesn't go anywhere. But Deep Space Nine doesn't go anywhere. There's a difference between going mm -hmm, onto mm -hmm. the bridge of a moving ship yeah. and running into dad's office with a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting to see the maturity of not the maturity like ooh adult nature i mean the maturing of of this whole situation of these characters and and of this of this place um, yeah. which is which is very different than being on a starship yeah uh, a couple of more quick quark notes before we move on um i i just i love the fact that we know where the joke is going as soon as rom points out how much more quark is getting than him Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, the, the instant they started that bit, I knew exactly where it was headed. I didn't know the branding was coming, but <laughs> I knew that I knew what was happening between Quark and Rom and, and it, it paid off perfectly. And then the other bit is, uh, after Quark has the brand removed from his head by Dr. Bashir and he says to Kira as she's leaving, how do I look? And she says, as handsome as ever. And that the, the, the registering of that moment, because we know the subtext of what she's saying, but the look on his face, just right out of Dumb and Dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance. Perhaps one of the biggest revelations of this episode. Cardassians wear underwear. I mean, it makes sense that they would. But... It is not the kind of thing one thinks about. Aww. Jake's going to have a date, and he gets a little advice from the old man. No, he doesn't. What? He's, he's going to have a date, but like his old man's like, oh, and you came to me for advice. He's like, nope. I came yeah. to you apparently to be shut down. Yeah, and then I, I told him no. <laughs> then I told him no again. 
Mm, good advice. Yeah. That's my Odo imitation for this week. <laughs> I can't yeah. remember how I normally do Odo, but I think it's like that. Yeah. It's just, uh, good advice you gave him, Benjamin. Yeah. I, what I thought was actually funny is Jake's like, uh, hey, remember that Bajoran girl I was telling you about? And then Ben's head, he's like, nope. <laughs> he's like, uh, the one with the beautiful smile. It's such a dodge. That's such a dodge. I, I don't think he remembers her at all. Look, to give him the benefit of the doubt, Jake could have said, I met this Bajoran girl with a beautiful smile. Um, I met so many others who did not. But this <laughs> one in particular. I guess that's possible, but it just felt it felt like a dodge to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was talking earlier about how we see the, the sort of the development of the uh, relationship between Kira and, uh, and Cisco. Mm-hmm. And certainly we're seeing sort of the development of, of, of what life is like on Deep Space Nine in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get a we also get a clearer and sort of more scary idea of just how bad the occupation was by the Cardassians. Yeah. Our approach to the labor camp gives us that deeper look at what life was like for the Bajorans. Um, because basically, and it was it was weird. It was actually weird when she says, how do I look? And O'Brien says, there's not a Cardassian who could resist you. Ah, Ah, <laughs> it never even, I mean, and I know it should have occurred to me because I think we've heard the word rape before when we yeah. talk about the uh, occupation, yeah. but I mean, it was, I mean, it, it starts to sound like it was, um, uh, systemic and, and, and ongoing and, and just terrible mm-hmm. and, and how, uh, it was just discussed as well, of course I'm going to have my way with that person mm-hmm. because I got two bits. So here you yeah. go. And and I will now do that. And that and of course, except there wouldn't have been commerce. Yeah. There wouldn't have been anything for um, uh, for the occupied party there, except for um, well, hate and resentment and violence and 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 terror. And the thing is, it's not like the whole thing has been cartoonish. But even with just that one little bit, even with mm-hmm. just that one little bit of seeing it, because we've heard before. I mean, this happened back in TNG, I think, when O'Brien had you know his horrible hatred. Of, of the Cardassians could not look mm-hmm. past who they were because of stuff that he knew about them and the way that he had been treated. Mm-hmm. And we've heard that they were just a horrible occupying force, but, but this was an illustration and it wasn't overly done. It was just, I mean, but it was just sort of a stark illustration in a way of just how bad things actually were. It, it was stark and it was just so kind of expected Mm-hmm. The, you know, like, like oh, th- this is a thing that we all understand is a thing that happens with Cardassians in this position. Right. Which you is know? not something that we had understood, I don't think, until this scene. I mean, they right. they had said it, but then they showed it. And thankfully, they did not show it in a graphic way. They didn't show it in a way that we actually had to see it. But it was clearly illustrated. Uh, yeah, this was what life was like. And uh, and certainly it's no problem with the Cardassian, at least this particular Cardassian, if life's like that again. Yeah, yeah, uh, precisely. And, you know, they, they've gone to great lengths to show us a, a lot of detail about Cardassians. I mean, they're, they're still pretty universally the bad guys. And that, mm-hmm. that is all that we know of them is just universally the bad guys. And you can insert whatever uh, uh, historical parallel you want with whatever... Uh, uh, enemy army or enemy faction or political movement you want, but but they are for as much detail as we're given, for as many characters as we're given. What we are given is uh, has very little redeeming quality. 
you know. Um, I, I, nothing really to say beyond that, except that it's interesting that that is what we have been given so far of them. Let's talk a little bit about Lee Nellis, mm -hmm. the reluctant hero. Um, cause I got some questions that, that may have answers, may not. Um, I, I think the first thing that this episode challenges us with in regards to Lee is, is it okay to just tell a story? To, to perpetuate the image even when that image is false or at least has a false element to it. Um, there's something to be asked about what he wants out of this. If he says, I don't want to do this, this isn't me, I'm uncomfortable with this, mm -hmm. um, should we expect, well, you may not want it, but everybody else does, therefore you need to jump into this role. Um, and I, I, I was thinking about today, obviously, because, well, we, we record this today, <laughs> that, that we live in a time where, where our, our heroes are sort of dwindling. You know, everybody has a skeleton in the closet of some sort. Sometimes many skeletons, sometimes not that many. Sometimes big skeletons, sometimes not that big a skeleton. Um, and I, I wonder if we are asking too much out of the people that we exalt as leaders, um, that they be perfect. So remember we had this talk about uh, uh, rightful heir. Remember when Kales came back and it wasn't really Kales, it was a, uh, a genetically recreated Kales mm -hmm. <laughs> programmed by Klingons who thought they were doing right. But but we're left at the end by saying, but no, but what you're creating here is a lie. And there's there's still an argument to be made, though I would disagree with it. There's still an argument to be made that says, well, the, the story, the, the point is more important than the actual person. And I struggle with this. Look, I, I, I think Cisco makes a compelling argument, which is short. <laughs> but it's just that uh, your planet's in trouble. They need something that something should be you. Now, we haven't seen how this turns out. We haven't seen how the rest of this plays out with Lee Nellis yet. But um, I, I wonder if we're doing right by him, at least where we leave this story right here, right now. Even if we leave off what we know about the next two episodes, though, I mean, we can mm -hmm. say that this is not going to work, right? Because yeah. what what have they done? It's like, oh, good. Lee Nellis is back. Tell you what, we're going to stick you way off the planet where, okay, there are 300 people here. We know the whole thing is run by uh, the Federation. There are lots of people coming through. So at most, there may be, what, 100 Bajorans, maybe, mm -hmm. of the 300 people who supposedly live on Deep Space Nine. Um, maybe 150. Let's say it's evenly divided. Half Bajorans, half Federation or half Starfleet. There's mm -hmm. like 150 people there. That's that's um, that's how this is going to work out for him. He's going to unify Bajor from off Bajor, where a lot of times we don't even see anybody official from the Bajoran government, except for um, the the um, the person who is the liaison between the Federation and uh, and Bajor, which is now Lee Nollis. He's going to be too busy doing his job theoretically to actually uh, unify Bajor. It seems. So. It, it, here's what I ask, though. What, what, so, would it be okay for for whoever needs to unify Bajor 
Mm-hmm. Would it be okay if, if that person is just a guy who has good ideas? <laughs> no. Uh, well, I mean, yes, yeah, it I would mean, be. Of course it would be. The, the, the Bajorans, for whatever reason, and, and I'm assuming uh, we talked about this recently on one of the panels that we did. I'm assuming that everybody on screen is somebody that we're supposed to see ourselves in or see in ourselves. What I don't understand is why we keep getting the Bajorans. The Bajorans, uh, well, there's one city that fears a cloud monster that's completely made up. Mm-hmm. Their their religion is based on people that they could go and talk to if they wanted to go and talk to them. But instead, they choose to believe that they are gods to whom they cannot speak. Mm-hmm. And now the only thing that's going to hold them together is this one hero who, in fact, was not heroic. But even if he was, in fact, heroic, he's still just one guy. One guy who may not even have any good ideas, except for I know how to shoot a Cardassian. I mean, that's really, yeah. Well, that seems to be what his heroism is based on. And that's what they're thinking they're going to be able to, you know, unite their, um, unite their culture around. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you mentioned the cloud monster because that, that was in my notes was the, the, the villagers and the storyteller. They're so dedicated to the story that they didn't realize the whole point of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now we see that that Bajorans are unable to agree on what is a very good idea of working together, until such point that they find a leader who will tell them what they already know or what they already should know. Um, so yeah, I, I you know maybe I'm wound up about this because, as you said, Star Trek is us, not just the Federation, not just the good guys. Not just the people on starships, but every planet we go to, every species we encounter, there's a mirror held up to us. And it's it's a harsh reality when you keep seeing these people who, if they only realize that they had it in them, <laughs> they could be accomplishing these great things. But instead, they're waiting for this outside influence. Oh, well, what we need is a war hero. Don't care if the story is fake. Just bring us a war hero. And that person, just by virtue of having shot somebody else, will tell us how to do it. We already know how to do it, but we still need somebody else to tell us how to do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> see also us. Yeah, well, uh, that's precisely. <laughs> that's the precisely. Drag. Yeah, it yeah. goes back to look. I'm pretty sure that um, that uh, Veet in um, in the Watchmen was wrong, but I'm not sure he was wrong. I know we've talked about this several times, but basically, the way the world found peace in the graphic novel The Watchmen. Spoiler alert: It's 35 years old now, <laughs> give or take. But the way the world found peace theoretically in The Watchmen was they were convinced that aliens were coming to kill us. And yeah. so, and and that was the only way we were able to sort of rally. What's weird is there is no extant enemy now for the Bajorans, and so they're making them up, right? Yeah. The Cardassians yeah. are not even really that worried about anymore. Some people are, but a lot of them aren't. Now mm-hmm. the problem is everybody else. Now yeah. the problem is, oh, these these humans and the aliens that call humans humans. Um, there are all kinds of people that just need to be. And you say you thought about today, did you, John? Mm, All kinds of people that need to be chased away. All kinds of people that need to be chased out. And that's the other thing that's really fascinating. So then what happens? Mm -hmm. So finally, it's Bajor for the Bajorans. Okay. So then the question is going to become, it just has to, doesn't it? Well, are you Bajoran enough? Yeah. Do you believe the way I believe? It's like our old friend, and gosh, I don't know if we'll ever see her again, but it's like our old friend Vedic Wynn. 
She seemed to think that there were some people who had like true faith and other people who were just giving lip service to the faith and other people who had fallen away from the faith. I mean, that's that's the next step in this. Get rid of all the get rid of all the Ferengi, get -hmm. rid of all the whatever mourn is, get rid of all the humans. Uh, The problem is if, if fighting is what's at your core, if 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 eliminating the other is what's in your nature you'll find a reason to make you the other or the person who's just like you the other it's just it's yeah this it feels like this goes poorly yeah all you have um, to do is be on the right side of the circle yeah <laughs> the, the alliance for global <laughs> unity these just sound I, I think i put it earlier and i'll put it here again these just sound like terrible people just <laughs> terrible terrible people yeah good yeah. branding though like you pointed out very good branding that's oh, a good terrific it's, it's a decent symbol i i don't understand exactly what it means but uh everybody needs a logo um <sighs> even the borg even the Borg. I get, you know, sometimes I worry about the day that we start seeing different logos. But, yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that if we get to it, and hopefully we never will. Uh, yeah. Lee Nellis had sort of a Yoda moment to me, right? Yeah. Luke says, um, when he goes to find Yoda, I'm looking for a great warrior. And Yoda, mm-hmm. who Luke doesn't realize is Yoda, says, uh, wars not make one great. Yeah. Lee Nellis has a similar thing going on, um, not only in his rebuke of Dr. Bashir, but in his unwillingness to take that mantle of leader or hero i mean he was just this guy who wasn't even in the right place at the right time he was just in a specific place at a specific time Mm -hmm. who ends up lionized as a result um i think he has the same problem that you have john of like you know do you let people believe the lie just because it gives them something to believe in yeah of course, it's not surprising that cisco is pushing lee nollis in that direction because cisco is also the one who told jake Hey, don't think it's crazy that they're telling, um, you know, Miss O'Brien or Mrs. O'Brien that she can't teach that because, you know, it's their religion and you have to just be that way. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing because yeah, yeah. it's been a few weeks. I, I hope I said it better than that, uh, better than that earlier. Yeah, very well done. Um, you mentioned the circle and what terrible people they are. Mm-hmm. I also find myself both wanting to say something about the circle and not because, I mean, they're so obviously bad eggs that it kind of feels silly to mention them. Yeah. Um, when this episode was made in the early 1990s, I think I probably would have looked at the circle as silly and anachronistic. I mean, there were separatists in remote areas of the Western U.S. and maybe in the deep, mm-hmm. deep South. And yes, having grown up in the South and having spent several years in Boston at that point, I had definitely come across you know a fair amount of racism. Mm-hmm. But the idea of, you know, X region for people born in that region, Bajor for the Bajorans in this case, um, in 93, I think I would have thought of that as kind of ham-handed. I would have thought, oh, that's that's silly. Nothing like that. <laughs> Nothing like yeah. that could possibly ever. I don't know if that was naivete on my mm. part <laughs> mm. or, yeah. or what, but I miss I miss that guy. I miss yeah. that guy who would watch that and go, oh, well, this is just a little beyond the pale, isn't it? <laughs> no. No, it's very much uh, it's what do you in the pale of the pale? What do you say there? In the pale moonlight? No, we yeah. haven't gotten to that one yet. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know what you're talking about. Heck, we haven't even gotten to I'm still wondering if Vedic winds ever going to turn up again. <laughs> just just hold on, Ken. Just hold on. We'll we'll find out. <laughs> Tidy whities boxers, boxer briefs. I know I said, 
that Cardassian underwear is not the kind of thing one thinks about. However, now, I cannot seem to think about anything else. The Homecoming. Not a, not a game in sight, by the way. Did you notice? Mm-hmm. No. I was expecting cheer, cheerleaders, mm-hmm. maybe you know the crisp uh, the crisp fall air, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe a pep rally. No, nothing. Nope, none of that. No, it's just uh, just part one of a three part epic that kicks off season two of Deep Space Nine. But we're only doing the first part um, this week, and so this is the part where we take a look at the. Um, take a look at the episode as a whole we're talking about the messages morals meanings where we see whether this episode uh, holds up today and that is of course uh, where we start does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned mr champion uh first of all let me just say i'm, I'm glad that we chose to do this the way we're doing it with one and then two and three i i think it it's easier for us to wrap our heads around right. and hopefully it'll be easier for the audience uh, of listeners to the show to wrap their heads around. I think we get out just the right points in just the right way. So you, you do know, though, that we're going to get email from people who said, I watched all three. Oh, sure. And good for you. Good on you. Yeah, because here's the well thing. Done. We also watched all three. I, I think on the website, uh, as of our recording, it lists them as separate episodes. Oh. So, surprise, surprise. <laughs> I'll change that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, d- does the episode hold up? Um, I- I'll say, you know, there's a lot already happening just to kick off season two. And you can tell the deep commitment the writers have to the characters here. I mentioned how good I think the opening is with Quark, just those three moments with him to get give you three different takes on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's good character stuff with Jake and his father. Uh, there's good stuff between Cisco and Kira. There's good stuff with Kira and O'Brien. Um, and you have this deeper look at Bajoran politics and you have the introduction of this faction, the circle. Uh, we don't know what the Cardassians are up to. I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Um, so there's a lot happening. And for this to be the first of three parts, it moves. This episode, there's a lot that happens before we even get to the halfway point. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of weird when I was writing the recap because I noticed that I think it was like act two was just super short. And I realized that act three or four was much longer because there is just so much more plot to get into. Just a lot happens in this episode. And for this to be the first of a three parter, shockingly, it doesn't feel like we're stalling for time. Yeah, because that's something that happens a lot in TV, not just in Star Trek. You get a two-parter and you go, okay, could they have actually cut this down? <laughs> so there yeah. is there is one thing I will say. I'm not sure that Act 2 was quite as short as you think, but when you're boiling it down, not a lot happens. Yeah, there, there are not a lot of plot points. It's just sort of the exposition of here are the people who need to know here's where they're going. Right. That, that's really what it comes down to. And another cute moment, again, that sort of teaches you about life on Deep Space Nine. Cisco's like, so listen, I got this secret thing. And Dax is like, yeah, heard it. <laughs> yeah, there's only Cisco's 300 like, of us. Come on. Right. And then Cisco's like, hey, O'Brien, I need you to work on this thing. And he's like, uh, that thing that I already did because I knew this yeah. was coming. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. It's actually a cute moment. Is there anybody who doesn't know? I don't think she told Quark. Right, right, yeah, right, right. which is which is funny. Which also actually brings me to because I also think this episode holds up. There is one mm. thing that really bothers me, and we've talked about it before. Um, the first thing, of course, because I mentioned there were two things that kind of took me out of the episode a tiny bit. The first was the fact that there were no cameras, and that's not what's here. Sure. Um, 
Quark is a reprehensible character in this episode, mm-hmm. saying he's making nice with Odo simply to confuse Odo, which he deems an enemy, or who he deems an enemy, under the mm-hmm. 76 rule of acquisition. Um, declare peace from time to time. It confuses the hell out of your enemy. That's the 76 rule of acquisition. No, I'm not keeping track, but I actually do like pointing them out because I think they're kind of funny and interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's all bad. That is Quark being bad. Dude got gagged and branded. Mm-hmm. And Bashir and Cisco basically tell him to shut up. Yeah, not cool. No, you see, now here's the thing. I hate, I hate frivolous lawsuits. I hate frivolous lawsuits. In my Apple podcast that I do, I get to talk about them a lot. Oh, sure. And I, and I hate them. And with each one, I hate them just a tiny bit more. But to me, this goes all the way back to the hot coffee thing, because you want coffee to be hot. And yes, I understand that woman. She was very hurt. And I get all that. <sighs> At some point, some of it's got to be on you. When Quark says that he's going to sue the Bajoran government for redress, that's how Ferengi roll, right? He mm-hmm. is saying that he has been wronged and he wants that wrong addressed. Now, Ferengi do everything in terms of commerce, so he is going to sue. It's not the way that we would do it, we being the Federation, although certainly we and the U.S. would definitely be thinking <laughs> that. I joked with a friend of mine who broke his... Uh, who broke his uh, broke his uh, shoulder one time because he tripped on a uh, sidewalk and fell. And it was deemed that it was the fault of the people who, uh, <laughs> who were supposed to be maintaining the sidewalk. And mm. I said, we could really screw up his, his court case by like, as you know, going into court and saying, yeah, I remember he like walked and he tripped. And as he was falling towards the ground, he was yelling, I'm going to be rich. Right? <laughs> right. There are people today who do that kind of thing. Okay. It's not necessarily what you and I would do. And it's not what we as the Federation would do. But I mean, that's the way Quark is going to do this. I mean, put it a different way. If Kira came in and said that she had been wronged by a Cardassian in any way, and she had a head of steam, Cisco is not going to tell her to shut up. Yeah. Cisco is not going to say to her, not now, Major. Right. Yeah. Cisco is going to talk to her about what happened. Quark got branded. He got branded. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and Bashir's like, stop moving. <laughs> and Cisco's like, be quiet. I, I will say this, though. Yeah, the, the Bashir thing is a little weird because Bashir is the doctor. He needs what we call bedside manner. Yeah, not with Quark, though, because Quark is ugh. Yeah, right. See, um, and the other thing, though, there's sort of a production reality and I have to put myself in their shoes and wonder, OK, so you're on set and the line is not now, Quark. How do you deliver that? Because if there's a way to deliver that, that shows a little bit of sympathy, that shows a little bit of distraction, that shows something other than just tearing the guy's head off, the guy who, as you point out, just got branded, Right. Um, then there might be another way to deliver that line and play that scene. And I also know that when you do that and you shoot, say, seven or eight or ten takes before you move on, you hit every different level, every way. Okay, give me a different take. Now, give, now read it a different way. <laughs> and if the one that you end up with in the editing booth is the one where you, you just rip into the guy that's the one that uh, that the editor likes, that the director likes in the end, and that's the one that goes out. Do you think that's why Shatner delivers lines the way he delivers lines? Because he's trying to give you all of them at once? I think so. <laughs> Just every single level, he's got it down. Not yeah. now. Quark? Okay. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fine. Just piece it together. Nice. We'll make it work. Yeah. yeah, I love it. 
Look, I, this is an episode that clearly holds up from a production angle, from a writing angle. I, I think it, it particularly has payoff the more we get to know these characters and the, and the, the deeper the DS9 mythology gets built. I know we're a third of the way through this, mm-hmm. through this arc. What about messages, morals, meanings? Um, no good deed goes unpunished, which is not really, of course, a message. But man, Kira really gets it in the neck, huh? Mm-hmm. She gets bumped off DS9, where she's shown a capacity to cause trouble for the Bajoran government. Meanwhile, yeah. Lee Nallis is given a made-up title and put in a place where, like I said in the last segment, he can pretty much do nothing for Bajor. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, way to go, buddy. You're going to be a figurehead, but but you know, put someplace that you really can't do much. Yeah, I, you know, I found myself again with the whole like splitting it up between two and uh, one and two episodes. Mm-hmm. I did find myself wondering, like, like what would his arc be like if he were now going to be part of this from now on, right? And then visitor's gone. Uh, the guy who played Tony is here because I can't remember his name, <laughs> right. but yeah, love him, but yeah. can't remember Richard his name. Bamer. Yeah. Richard Bamer. Yeah. Thank you, very much. Richard yeah. Bamer's here. Go. It'd be interesting to see how his how his whole thing carries on. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I I feel fairly certain that's not going to. That's not going to happen. Anyway, it's not a real message, or at least it's not a good message, but it's one that I walked away with. What about you, sir? Uh, look, it's not a message uh, like uh, Save the Whales, but it, but it's a thing to contemplate like we did at the end of Rightful Air, which uh, left us with some big problems. Um, uh, Lee says to Cisco, it's based on a lie, his story, his, his, his background, the reason that he is who he is. And Cisco says, no, it's based on a legend, and legends are as powerful as any truth. I agree that legends are powerful. Yeah. I mean, you and I are sitting here doing a show for the last six years about a fictional TV series. <laughs> it is complete, 100% fiction. I'm here to remind you and everybody else who listens. Uh, but we talk about it because we talk about the truths therein. And and what are the things that inspire us or we think are good ideas or bad ideas and hopefully give us some insight into what it is to be human. But we also like to separate those truths between the truths with a little T and the truths with a big T. Um, what Lee is saying is that the story around him is not a truth. It is not factual. And uh, Cisco is saying, yeah, but, but, but the heart of the story is I just worry that Lee can't live with that. Uh, uh, with with that on his head. There's even a way, it seems to me, though, to make this... uh, The problem is, I I think the word I used earlier was lionized. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing is, they made him like uh, like a Valhalla kind of hero. I mean, he's still a hero. He still did this thing, right? He was still in the... uh, I can go ahead and say it the other way if you want to. He was still in the right place at the right time and took the right action. Now, that's a weird thing Mm -hmm. for you and I to say because we're talking about war. We're talking about killing a guy. We're talking about killing a guy who was defenseless. But the fact of the matter is he did do something that helped the Bajoran people, right? He didn't, he didn't like come up with some big, huge plan. He didn't jump the guy. He didn't really best him in combat. But when the situation arose, he did what he had to do for himself and for his people. And you can still be heroic that way. I mean, the thing is, then everybody can be a hero because then everybody is looking for what are ways that I can make things better for everybody else. Hopefully it doesn't involve killing. <laughs> right. but, I mean, everybody yeah. could then be looking at the story of Lee and Alice and saying, 
yeah, he was just he was just going along minding his business, and there was a thing. It's like that guy, and I can't remember where it was now. I think it was in France. It was like that guy a few months ago who was walking by and saw a kid dangling from a ledge. And so he climbed the building and did that. He didn't go out that day and say, I'm going to save a kid. He just like, you know, he was in a place where he was able to do something and he did that thing. That would be a great Lee Nala story. And that would be one that we could all take. We being Bajorans, apparently, all of a sudden. That's one that we could all take and say, how can we all work for a better Bajor? As opposed to, ah, I'm no hero, but thank goodness Lee Nollis is here because he was a hero 15 years ago, apparently, and he's going to make everything better. Well, see, and imagine if a Lee Nollis could go on the equivalents of, uh, you know, Bajoran national TV and and deliver the Yoda line, uh, wars not make one great, uh, but here are the things that I believe in about uniting Bajor and being a good person and not focusing on this legend of, uh, of somebody killing somebody else. Uh, let's start the conversation over again. I have a pretty good feeling that people of Bajor, particularly those who are terrified of the cloud monster would go, Oh, well, this guy's no hero after all. We, we need to go find another cloud monster to fight. Maybe that's what Lee Nala should work on. Actually, is just building a gigantic cloud monster. Maybe, maybe that, so the that's the whole it. planet you know, could be afraid of that instead of uh, uh, foreigners and each other. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Find out more at the Roddenberry Podcast Network, podcast.roddenberry.com. Over there, you'll find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash missionlog. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, also check out Trek FM, that's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week, part two of the mega premiere, The Circle, and part three, The Siege. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. New from the Mission Log shop, Cardassian Underoos. It is underwear, that is fun to wear. Now, 47% less flammable. Ask your mom and dad, for Cardassian Underoos. Transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.